You have to have favor with men. That's part of it. Jesus grew in favor with God and with man, it says. That's what it says. We want to focus in on the persecution part. But there are very few people who persecuted Jesus. It was the religious leaders mainly. Yeah, there's that part of it. But the other side of it is so much bigger. Approved by men. And when we start walking in righteousness and peace and joy, and we start serving Christ in those things, there's no way that that you're not going to have favor with man. There's absolutely no way. Who's not going to be drawn to you sharing the Father's heart with them? Who's not? That's love. The Father's heart is love. Who's not going to be drawn to you bringing peace to a situation? Who is not going to be drawn to you bringing joy into something? Accepted to God and approved by men. So today we're going to talk about peace. The kingdom of God is peace. I'm going to go to John 14, 27. I leave the gift of peace with you. My peace. This is Jesus talking. Not the kind of fragile peace given to the world, but by perfect peace. Don't yield to fear or be troubled in your hearts. Instead, be courageous. So if God promises me peace, and I'm telling you, there are so, so, so many scriptures on peace. And it is, it covers everything. It covers everything. Spirit, soul, and body. The world, it covers the whole shebang. So if, if there's so many promises on peace, I should be seeing the manifestations of it in my world. Why am I not? In order for us to understand peace, or to walk in peace, we've got to understand what peace is. I like how uh, Romans 14, 17, 18. But, so for the kingdom of God is the realm of the Holy Spirit filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. The part that's cool is who lives in us? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. So what does that mean we are filled with? Righteousness, peace, and joy. It is part of the born-again spirits. It's part of our salvation. I don't have to go seek peace. It's that part of that mustard seed of faith that he gave us covers righteousness. If, we, if you weren't here for Serge's righteousness talk, it literally is something that is given to you. It's a gift. So the righteousness is a gift, peace is a gift, and joy is a gift. Then serving the anointed one by walking in these kingdom realities. These three things are kingdom realities that we all have and we can walk in. So it's not something that I have to go get. It's something that I have that I have to realize I have and reveal and understand it and walk out these kingdom realities. And it pleases God and earns the respect of people. So if I were to ask you what is peace? Peace, according to the dictionary, is a state of tranquility or quiet, or another part of it was freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions. For us believers, we know peace is a spiritual thing, isn't it? So if you study peace, as believers we know, I have the peace of God. It's something I get. It's a spiritual thing. But when you look at it, it's a spirit, soul, and body thing. Peace embodies everything that we are. And we are what? Body, soul, and spirit. So you get into the Greek, the Greek word for peace that's most often used, it literally means prosperity, security, and safety. Or another way to put it is one, peace, quietness, rest, set at one again. So what happens? When Christ died, what did he do? He set us at one with him. He redeemed earth. He died for what? All humanity. 
And it's on us to accept that gift of what he did. So he set what? He set us back into one relationship where we now have to believe and believe what he did on the cross. But it says, if you study it, Christ died for who? All humanity. Sinners. And we, he died for us when we were still sinners. So he did what? He set us at one again. So peace, the Hebrew word is shalom. And so if you ever actually have the opportunity to encounter somebody that is a Jewish believer, they greet shalom. They walk in, it's shalom. They walk out, they use shalom a lot. And so you're like, well, that just seems like to the, our English version of what that means, we just say peace. But when you understand when they say shalom, what they're saying was completeness. Say shalom. So they're saying complete wholeness to you when they walk in their house. Complete joy in your house. Complete peace. Anything that God is, shalom covers it. It's completeness. Wholeness. Soundness. It's wellness. It's welfare. It's safety. It's favor. It's health. It's prosperity. It's rest, quiet, tranquility, contentment, and friendship. And actually, friendship with human relationships and with God, especially in covenant relationships. So it's not friendship as the world sees it. It's covenant relationship. When her house flooded, there was like four people said, hey, we got shot backs. We had this. Within 30 minutes, like three people saying, hey, we'll be there. That's covenant relationship. That's what he calls us to. That's friendship, not as the world sees it. There is covenant relationships that God brings in your life. So then the Hebrew root for the word shalom, and I didn't put it on here, it's shalah. It's to be in a covenant of peace. So that means to be at peace, to live in peace, to make our cause to be at peace. So you are a peaceful one. You have a covenant with the Prince of Peace, so you are a peaceful one. It means to be complete, to be perfect, to be restored. So, so it also means to be sound, to be full, to make safe. So we are restored. On the cross, he made us complete. He made us perfect without sin or wrinkle. He made us and restored us. So he makes us whole and to make it end up. So that means to be finished. What did Christ not finish on the cross? If we really get down, what did Christ not finish at the cross? If we study it out and actually dig into it, what's not finished for us? He, he ended it. It's to reward. It's to make amends. What did he do? He made amends for my sins, for your sins. He made us complete. He took our sin from Adam and Eve that's carried on, and he took care of it. He blotted it out. He got rid of it. He makes compensation. He makes recompense. So them are all just different words for peace. So And, he, and we, we hang on that sin, but what, what you realize is with sin came a curse. All those things in your life that are unpeaceful, that came with sin. He took care of that. Yeah. What part of the curse didn't he take care of? Exactly. When Jesus was going, he said, I leave you the gift of peace with you, my peace. Not the kind of fragile peace given by the world, but my perfect peace. Don't yield the fear or be troubled in your hearts. Instead, be courageous. The world's peace, what is it? They've talked about world peace for how long and where, where's it got us? More rumors of wars and all that. Because the peace from God is not of the world. It's something that 
is given to each and every one of us. Yeah, on that, what, what I see is the world is a receiver. A key scripture that we've been talking about forever, it seems like since I've known him, is the earth eagerly awaits the Son of God to be manifested. So it's, a rece- it's waiting to receive. What are we? We're righteousness, the Bible says. It's waiting to receive righteousness. When we run to the world to get peace, it doesn't work. The Bible says God is peace. It says God is love. In the same way, just the same amount, just the way that God is love, it says that God is peace. It's who he is. He is love. He's also peace. Equally the same. So peace starts up here, not down here. And if you see from the very beginning, even with Adam, the rivers came from where? Eden. And it flows through the garden into the world. Jesus talked about it. From within you will flow rivers of living water. He was quoting Psalms from the throne of God through you into the world. That's the way it flows. Peace can't flow the the opposite way. Peace can't swim upstream. So when we're trying to grab peace from the world, it doesn't work right. It's temporary. It barely works. Because we're supposed to be getting it from here and giving it to the world. The world's supposed to receive peace from us. So... On that, we've been studying a lot in the garden, Adam and Eve, the tree of knowledge of good and evil versus tree of life. And when you read it, it is. The river flowed from Eden to the garden, to the four rivers, to the earth. So that's what it's talking about. It's an illustration of when God came in us, that river of life that's in us, it comes through us. And then at one point, we'll either do a podcast separate in a video is what we're thinking. But... It literally talks about the definition. If you read what them four rivers are, it is an amazing picture of what life is for us. It's an overflowing life. So some interesting things on that. Eden, when you go to the Hebrew and all this, Eden is translated into paradise. It's heaven. The garden, one of the Hebrew words for garden is bride. It's the garden of Eden. Eden's not the name of the garden. It's the garden of Eden. It's the garden of heaven. It's the bride of heaven. It's the bride of Christ. It says from Eden the rivers flow through the garden is what it says. The rivers of living water flow through us and then it splits up off into four and goes into the world. It's what we minister to the world. And it's interesting what the meaning is. So I'll go through quickly. The one river, Pashan, means overflowing increase. The next one uh, Havilon means to cause to grow. Geshon means to gush, to give birth. Tigris means swift flowing. So when they put it all together, and Euphrates means Euphrates means fruitful. So if they put all the meanings together, together, the river of God will bring overflowing increase, gush like a geyser, and swiftly bring God's people to success and fruitfulness. Yes, ma'am. So that is what the rivers are that flow through us, those rivers, the river of God that lives and dwells in each one of us is the river of God. It will bring overflowing increase in your lives. It will gush like a geyser and swiftly bring God's people to success and faithfulness. That's what was actually written out in Genesis. So we have righteousness that overflows from us. We have peace that overflows us. We have joy that overflows us. And as we're like studying this, righteousness was a cool eye-opener. Peace has been like, wow. So I'm like, next week, when we get to teach on joy, it's going to be one of those things like, 
if first righteousness was an eternal thing that I have now, and peace is the same thing, I know joy is going to be one of the things that it's something I'm not waiting till heaven. It's within me. I have joy in me. I just have to search out the scripturalness. But to go back to peace, Jason tied it to shalom. It encompasses everything. Spirit, soul, and body. With the spirit, it says that that enmity has been taken care of. That brought peace to our spirit. Then we talk about how the inner peace, peace in your mind, peace in your soul. But for many of us, that's where it stops. We don't accept that we could have a peaceful life. But when you study Shalom in the Hebrew, and then you go into the Greek and all of there's so many, so much on peace being in your physical world. Like it literally, the rivers of living water flow through us. And that's the kingdom. The kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. So peace is part of it. And I'm looking at this, and I'm going through scriptures, and I'm like, there's so many scriptures that talk about peace in our physical world. And I'm at the backside of my shop, and I'm, and I'm looking at it, and I'm contemplating it, and everything in my mind's going, that's not right. That can't be. It's too good to be true. What about COVID-19? What about people hating me? What about persecution? And my, everything in me was fighting God's promises. This is last week. Like, it, it, you just get trained that it's not for the physical world. Who says it isn't? The Bible says the opposite. Jason sent me a detailed, awesome thing on Shalom that this lady did. Detailed, detailed. Pages long. And, and most of the stuff she was talking about was physical. In your physical world that you could touch that kind of peace scripture after scripture after scripture but she kept going back to inner peace i'm like she's contradicting herself she's sowing peace in your physical world but she keeps bringing it back to yeah it's inner peace that's exactly what i was doing i was fighting how good of a father he is and wants to be but we can't what the bible says the promises of God are inherited by faith. If I got that river flowing and it's trying to bring peace in, and I'm, I'm stopping it right here at my flesh and not letting it flow out into my world, that's on me. Like, I'm, I'm partnering with my problem instead of partnering with this promise of God. I heard Bill Johnson say this, Peace is not the absence of something, it's the presence of something. So, for example, peace wasn't the absence of the fiery furnace for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Peace was protection within the fiery furnace. It was Jesus. Peace wasn't, for the first church, the book of Acts church, peace wasn't the absence of the famine. Peace was the provision within the famine. The righteous flourish in a time of famine. It's provision. It's you. Peace is not the absence of trouble or tribulation. Peace is you're getting taken care of in the midst of it. The economy might collapse. Do you have to go through it? According to the word, no, you don't have to. You can get taken care of within that collapse. That's peace. That's shalom peace.
where I'm taking care of you no matter what the situation is. Throughout the Old Testament, there's example upon example. But Noah was taken care of. He was forewarned. He even warned people for 100 years as he built a boat, and they didn't listen. Moses, the people of Israel, you know, quail, manna from heaven. All these examples of God taking care of. Joseph, what happened? It didn't look good. He shouldn't have had peace when he was thrown in the well, when he was sold into slavery, in Potiphar's house, going into the jail. But you know what? He was able to be one of the, he's, if you study his story, it's amazing. He had favor in all the Marys. Favor with God with man, and he had a peace that everywhere he went, he was able to be successful according to God's plan. And you know what he did? He was the solution that bought, brought prosperity in a time when they didn't, because he was able to interpret the dream. He brought peace to the nation of Israel and Egypt where he was at. Because without him doing what he did for the seven years of the good, the seven years of the bad would have been so much worse. But in that seven years of the bad, what happened? His leadership through God brought his family to him and brought Israel to that land. So that's something throughout the Bible you see example after example where God's peace, no matter the circumstances, it still reigned. And it gave provision when it wasn't. David in the lion's den. We can just, like everybody, if we start thinking, where did God, God provide? You know, you're throwing in the fire furnace or you're throwing in a lion's den. I choose neither. But both of them, God's peace was there. Yeah. And so that's one of the things. It's the presence of something. It's the presence of the blessing. It's the security yeah. when the world says not to be secure. The world's talking about there's a housing bubble going to burst. The economy is going to do this and all this stuff. It's You listen to the news, I just read it, so I get a nugget and I move on. I don't actually listen to it. But it's one of those things that it's the presence of blessing. And even as you look at when he was talking about peace, what is one of the parts of the armor of the God that we have? For, I'm going to read it out of NLT. For, the sh for shoes put on the peace that comes. From the good news so that you will be fully prepared. And you know the funny part about peace? Our shoes, our feet are covered with peace. And you know we're spiritual beings. So we're heaven down. If I'm bringing heaven to earth, what part of me is actually walking on the earth? Peace. Everywhere I go, I bring peace to every situation. If I'm not doing that, it's not because it's not provided. It's not because people talk about putting on the armor of God. It's like this work. I got to do it every day. I have the armor of God. It lives in me. The Holy Ghost lives in me. I don't have to go dig it out. I have to let it be what it is. Peace is when I walk, I expect things to change. I expect the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. I am righteous, and that is in me. You know why? Because he died and gave it to me. That's what Serge taught on. It's not something I have to go pick up. It's something I have to let out. It's them rivers we just talked about. It's letting peace, righteousness, joy flow from the river God out to the world. What I got to do is stop blocking it. Stop, stop, stop stopping the very thing that God wants you to manifest on earth. Yep. And that comes with accepting that it's just not a feeling. That peace is tangible. It manifests. It can manifest in your life. It doesn't just stop here. Everything around me is in utter chaos, but i got the peace in my heart. It's way more than that. It's literally tangible. When they were provided for in a famine, that was tangible. That peace manifested. 
And that's what we have to accept. I want to read John 16.33 in the Amplified. It says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. Shalom it encompasses everything. In the world you will have tribulation. And just, oh, did I just read that right? In the world you will. No, it's not what it says. I've heard so many people quote it that way. Will, will, no. In the world you have tribulation, distress, and suffering. It's different than saying you will have. It's, it's telling you what the world offers. In the world you have tribulation, the distress, and the suffering. But be courageous, be confident, and undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. My point with this is, this is the part that I had to fight last week. Because I was in this set of trees outside my work last week. And I was meditating on this scripture, praying and walking. And the Lord was telling me, you're quoting that wrong. You're quoting that wrong. I went and looked at it. And it's, in the world you have tribulation. He's not saying you're going to have tribulation. He's saying that's what the world offers. The world offers tribulations, distress, and sufferings. But he offers you peace. That's what the world offers. This is what I offer. It's not saying you have to have these things. It's saying that that's what the world's going to give you. Don't take it. You're not of the world. Take this. I give you peace. So my point being is this. We have to accept that he wants us to have a life of peace. We can't walk in something we don't know we have. You can't walk in peace first. If you don't know what peace is, it encompasses everything, body, soul, and spirit, everything. He wants it in your natural world. And then number two, you got to accept it. Like you have to partner with it, as Robert says. The promises of God are inherited by faith. And if we look at Jesus, what made him different? Why did multitudes flock to him? Is it because he carried a doom and gloom attitude? And was it, he was filled with something that that's why you have favor with God and man. When you walk out who you're called to be. It was, it's because you're doing what you're supposed to be. And people go, wow, Reggie, look, the world's not fun. The world's going through a hard time, but you, you're different. The first couple weeks, Robert, you were talking about the guy at your work, where he's like, you're going through some junk, and every day you're still smiling. That, that's favor with man. They're going, why are you different? Why did multitudes flaunt? Like, he, there wasn't social media for Jesus. Because there was something different. He carried something that was not of this world. And that's what we're called to carry. We are of a different kingdom. And we're on this world. What makes us different? Why would somebody want to be with the, the, the fellowship of God? Why would they? The body of Christ. Why would they want to join that? If it looks just like the world. We're called set apart. We're called to have peace in situations. When things don't go your way, how do you react? It's like, oh my God, da, 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 this, all this, it's horrible. Things are going to happen every day. We're all, we all have a life. We all have work. We all have jobs. We all have families. Something's going to come your way that has the opportunity to steal your peace. How do you handle it? I'm going to joke, Tessa. She's like, one day she's like, I just want to lock myself in the bathroom and take a bath. <laughs> she's like, these kids are acting crazy. That was like, option A is... Bathroom, Epsom salt bath, and I'll see you in a little bit. But what will happen? 
there's an option to lose your peace or go take a bath and make sure you stay focused on the thing that it is. What he gives us is something the world so desires. They desire for what God has. Are we showing them what they really desire? That comes down to what we're looking at. I have Adam and Lena at the house. My desire for them is for them to have a good life. I don't want them to suffer. But we want to think that, I'm going back to that spot where I was like, my mind is fighting how good God is and how good a life he wants me to have. My mind's fighting that. Why? Why? Would I want that for Adam? Would I want him thinking, you're a good, you're a good dad, Serge. You're a good dad. You, you want good things for me, but I also know you want me to suffer. And you want me to go through trials. And Oh, but it's going to make me a better person. No, I want you to have good things. I want to provide for you. I want you to come to me with your cares. I want you to come to me with your cares. The Bible says, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. For he cares for you. It's not saying he cares about your cares. That's not what he's saying. We always want to stop it. Cast your cares upon him. But it's for he cares for you because he wants to take care of it. Cast your cares upon him for he's going to tend to it. He's going to take care of it. He wants the manifestation of the provision to come forth is all I'm trying to say. It's not just to cast your cares on him and I get this inner peace. No, that is not what shalom is. Shalom is the manifestation of the problem getting solved, of a victory, of a testimony. Shalom is the world's going to crap, but you're not. Shalom is this. I'm walking in through the valley of the shadow of death, and I got a thousand people dying of COVID over here, and I got 10,000 over here, but it doesn't even harm me. It doesn't even harm me. Why? Because I'm in the shalom of God. And it's, it's manifested peace in my life. It's not just on the inside. It's manifested. And until I can do that and walk in that, how am I supposed to serve the world in that? How can I bring peace to the world if I don't even have peace in my own life because I can't accept that God's a good God? Because I can't accept that He wants me to have good things. I had to work through that this week. No, He wants peace in my spirit, in my soul, and in my world. He cares for you. If I just cast my cares and I don't realize he's a loving father that cares for me, I'm going to pick him back up. If I don't think that he's capable of handling, what am I going to do? I'm going to say, well, that was fun, or I'm going to pick up something new tomorrow. And that brings us back to this. Peace alone comes from a result of restored righteousness. If you didn't hear his message on righteousness, it helps because the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace. If you understand righteousness, so shalom is a result of understanding your righteousness. You will never have true peace unless you're securing your identity. And the way he defined righteousness is understanding God's desire, intense, and, and in his heart for us. So you bring that back. He cares for you. What is God's heart? He touched on it. Understanding how good God is. God's saying... I need to understand how radical his love is. Like, I don't, like, even though I've taught on love a ton, 
agape love, like the whole thing. And God's so already changed how I taught it six months ago. But if I understand that God is love and God is peace, because what? The fruits of the spirits, Galatians 5. For the fruits of the spirits are love, joy, peace, patience, all that. So if I really understand righteousness, what's God's heart? It's love. So really the fruits of the spirit are what the kingdom of God are. Because I can replace righteousness with love. Because that is God's heart. And love encompasses everything. But if I don't understand what love is, or I don't accept it that he cares for all things, I'm like, I don't care. If I had wayward kids and I have different people in my family, and we've walked through people. I know people that have had their kids do stupid stuff, have stupid stuff, and they're 50 years old, and you know what? The parents still answer the phone when something happens. They're still, it doesn't matter. You know, whatever's going on. When there's a crisis, you know who's there? Parents. You know what the Father God does for me? Whenever I screw up, and however times I do it in a day, when I call him, he doesn't go, you, you're just, again? He goes, come home. What did the, pro like we talk about the prodigal son. Let's look at it as the loving father. Even when the son was going, it said the father was looking for him. He was looking for him, saying, I can't wait till you come home. And he went to him when he seen him. For us to walk out righteousness and peace in our life, we have to get radical with what love is. In love, there's a portion that's correction. But there's a portion that we take correction way out of it. Because, man, love is, it's an amazing gift. If love, and if I think, that God corrects me more than I correct my own kids, either I'm going to have wayward kids that live in my house or I'm misinterpreting God. God's not vengeful. He's not literally waiting there and saying, Jason, you're about ready to mess up. Whack! But how many people really think God's that way? So if I'm going to walk in peace from somebody, i got to realize he actually tenderly cares for me all the time. It's not something that he turns on and off based off. He sent his son when I was still lost in a sinner. And he said, I love you that much. I'm going to bankrupt heaven. And so he didn't bankrupt heaven, have his son freely give his life, because he didn't kill him. Jesus gave his life. Let's get that clear, because God isn't that type of God. Like, but how many people, God killed his son. Now I'm going to go there. God didn't kill Jesus. Jesus laid his life down for us. But if I was taught that, God killed his son. So why do I want to trust a God that killed his own son? They had a plan and Jesus fulfilled it by laying down his life. And there was a plan where the son gave his life. If you read it, over and over it said, but it wasn't his time and Jesus escaped. It wasn't his time and Jesus escaped. And then it said, it is time and he gave his life. We even, if you get into studying the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, not my will, like, and he was crying because he didn't want to do it. There, there's more to it. it. That's not the equation. If you study it out, he was already bleeding blood. When you bleed blood, you're dead. So Jesus was saying, is it in time now? But he had to do the public, the crucifixion to fulfill the prophecies. But if you study that, when that happens... You're pretty much dead. So is Jesus saying, it was really, Father, is it your will that it's this time? 
Is this now when I lay my life down? And he said, no, because that wouldn't have fulfilled the scriptures being hung on a tree and everything. So Jesus asked the Father, is it right? Is your heart now? Because I'll lay my life down here in the garden, and it'll be finished. But he, that's, that's what it was. It wasn't God forcing him. It was Jesus communicating with the Father even in the garden. So that's the thing. Getting radical and understanding love, you're not going to have peace until you understand really what righteousness is and what the heart of the Father is. And so that's just a whole aspect that he cares for us. He's not like your parents. Most of us had good parents and the best they knew how. And we've got to be thankful for what we had. And if it wasn't great, we've got to find a way to go to God and let him show you what a good father is and a good mother, whatever the situation. But he's not our parents. Because as good as they tried to do, God is infinitely better. He's infinitely better, guys. And if you take that, you can start to walk in peace. But if you think he's vengeful, he's looking for you to mess up, and it's every little thing. And I got, I, I'm one of the ones, I, I'll, I'll sit there and start making checklists of things, and, and I'll just, but there's times I have to just go, it's not worth it. I love my kids. Let's have fun with this instead of always having, you messed up, so you do this and this. And there, there's a period that there's correction. But we have to understand it's not correction. It's a loving father that wants to embrace us, call us home. And all of us can have, we all have stories where God has called us home and hugged us. And how many times I have more than one, I have more than I can count on my fingers where I've had to go, Lord, I need that loving embrace. And it revealed peace in my life. But when I was running from that love, because it's better than we can ever think or imagine, guys. It's better than what it, anything we can think or imagine. And we have to embrace it. And it's going to look radical. And you want to talk with something, Joel, he, he's talked it for three years. Four, we know him four and a half years. So four years since we've talked. He's always pushed the limit for me of what love is. He stretches you, but it's good. And I'm getting there like, we have to understand the radical love of God. And that's what we're called to manifest. And that's when, when you have that, and our righteousness is secure in the love of God, you can't actually start to walk in peace. What I feel like this is coming down to is, we're all going to face stuff. We're all going to face trials. Like I said, peace is not the absence of something. It's the presence of something. We're going to go through stuff. Your kids are going to go through stuff. Adam, my son Adam's going to go through stuff. But I'm not going to just leave him in there to fend for himself, to go and fight for himself. Here, I, I don't want to help you. Just, just know that I'm there for you. That's, that's a weird dad. Dads don't do that. You know what I'm saying? But that's how we treat God, as if he stuck us on this earth to test us and for us to suffer. And like, like we're put on this earth to beg to get off of it. He stuck you on this earth for a reason. Why would he stick us on this earth for us to suffer and to always be hurting and turmoil and tribulation after? No, he's there to do life with you. My son, Adam, I know he's going to face some things, but I'm there to do life with him. And that's where I'm like, hey, bring me your cares. I, I actually say that in other words to him. Bring me your cares. And when he brings me his concerns, or there was a time where, he, where there was a guy bullying him at school. Okay, let's figure this out. We're going to take care of this. And we took care of it. That situation changed that week. 
Actually, he brought it to me on a Friday and it was fixed on a Monday. <laughs> I didn't just say, oh, well, you know, just know that God's with you and, and I'm with you and I support you. No, we took care of the issue. He cast his cares upon me and I cared for it. I took care of it. I tended to it. I'm not going to let him spend for his own. And I believe that's where we're at. This past few years, I've had to redefine how I look at God. How I look at the Father. And the type of covenant we're in. A marriage covenant. Relational covenant. I've had to redefine all that. We look at who God is. God is love. Well, it also says God is peace. It's who He is. But sometimes we filter it through this, these ways we've been taught. And I, I just feel like there's so many of us starting to re-look at it. Like, no, wait a second. Who is the Father? You're saying He's love, but then you're saying that basically I'm fending for myself in life. And He don't really care about this natural world. He completely cares about this natural world. And to bring it home that He is a good dad, you have somebody, they come and restore everything of yours. And they say, here you go. I'm restoring it. And then they leave. And they say, you know, they don't give you any tools. They don't give you anything. Say, take care of it, and I'll be back at some point. How, how would you think that father is? Would that be a good dad? He, get, he restores stuff. He takes care of it. He gives it to you and says, good luck. At some point, I'll be back. But how many people would you call that a good dad? No. But how many say Jesus came, he did the work on the cross, he restored everything, he died, went to hell, took the keys to death, hell, and Hades, rose and ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father and said, I leave you guys with nothing. That's how I was taught that we're just in this world fending until hopefully he comes again. And I'm like, well, why, do I want to serve that? Did, did Christ finish it or does rapture finish it? Did Christ finish it or is death? going to be what saves me. He saved me. He, he went down and what did he say? And I give the keys to you to rule and reign and have dominion on earth. It's not a future thing. We are called to manifest the kingdom of God on earth today with righteousness, peace, and joy. That's what God's heart is. His heart is that we are the head, not the tail. It's not a future thing. Because if you look at that, how certain things are taught. We would look at it and say, well, that's a horrible person. But we say that's what God did. When Christ did it, he changed from the earth decaying to the earth being renewed and restored. We are in that season where we are to be the triumphant church. I'm looking for things to get better because the sons of God are manifesting. The light of God is coming forth. And when it grows, when the body of Christ goes from a million to two million to ten million to a billion to two million, that's winning. We're not to take the light and put it in a bushel basket and hide it. We let the light shine. We let the love of God shine. And that's manifesting. The sons of God will manifest on this earth. He didn't send his son and his son give his life for us to suffer till some random point. He gave us the tools. Just like I would give my kids the tools. Just like any of you would give your kids the tools. We look at it wrong. We're called to have dominion. He restored dominion back on this earth and he said, you are my kids. 
You are the body of Christ. Rule and reign with me. Rule in righteousness, rule in peace, rule in joy. Where we're at now, that restoration area, now we influence darkness. We don't just walk through it and, and we're protected by it. We now change it. We bring light to the darkness now. It's different. We have influence now. We have kingdom. We have rivers of living water flowing through us. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. In every way. Body, soul, spirit, flesh, world, every part of you. That's shalom. Shalom is in every way. When you study out shalom, spiritual and physical. Nothing untouched. Nothing untouched.